Welcome to a King Size Life podcast with Shannon King. Our goal is to encourage and inspire you to get off the sidelines and live this one life He has given us in the biggest way possible. Life is guaranteed to throw us all obstacles and opportunities. Do you choose to be a spectator of life or seize the opportunities given, create your own path, and become everything you're designed to be? Your road to discovery starts now. Here's your host, Shannon King. All right, Katie Clatterbaugh, welcome to an episode of A King Size Life. I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, I was sharing with you a little bit before we we started recording that I've been social media stalking you for a while, which (laughs) I do that with women that I admire. I am attracted to powerful women. I'm attracted to women that are doing big things in their life that are setting examples for other people in the world. And that has to be how I found you. And I just have continued to love watching you in action and living your life and doing the things that you're doing. And so we're going to talk about that. And just to give you all the listeners out there a little bit of an introduction about Katie, she is the reigning Mrs. North Carolina Cosmos. She will be competing at nationals soon. So we're going to talk a little bit about her pageant journey and what led her to competing. She is married to Chad and the mother of Camden, which I know he is one of your most proud blessings on earth as I can relate being a mom of three and you're also a photographer. So I know you have a love for photography and the interaction. And I think the memories that that creates for people and that they're able to continue to love for the rest of their lives. Um, so that's kind of my introduction, but why don't you give everybody a little bit of an introduction, not your, not an interview type of introduction, but who is Katie outside of mom to Chad and wife to Camden and tell us a little bit about you. Shannon, I love that you just asked that question because so many times as parents, especially, um, or wives, you know, we're, I don't want to say pigeonholed into these, well, you're a mom or you're a wife and that's your, that's your identity. No, that's not. That's part of my identity, but um, there's so much more to me. So I started my photography business about eight years ago as a way to, um, let me back up a little bit. I was a pharmaceutical sales representative until I had Camden. I absolutely loved my job. I loved interacting and having um, that challenge. I've always been very competitive, so it was a career that was perfect for me in the sense that it's a very, very competitive industry. But when my son came along, it was very, very hard for me to have the side of Katie that wanted to go to work and travel. And at the time, I think I was covering two or three states and then come home to my baby. And and I didn't want someone else, quote unquote, to raise my child. So after a lot of uh, hard conversations, we decided that I would stay home for a year and within about six months, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm more, I'm, I'm so, my cup is so filled being at home, but I need something to, to still be Katie. Like I can't just do this, not at all offending anyone who that is their calling. And, and I don't mean that in an offensive way, just for me, I needed something a little bit more. So I started my photography business and I had no idea how to run a business. I had barely learned how to use a camera to be fully honest. Um, but I just jumped right in and here we are. I've been featured 
on ABC World News. I've been in Martha Stewart Weddings, Town and Country. I've been in the Not National Magazine, local magazines. Um, wow. I've really had, yeah, I've really had a really great career and have have made all of my dreams and goals in that career happen over the, the last course of, you know, seven, eight years. But um, that wouldn't have been possible without my family. My husband is extremely uh, supportive of it and helps, you know, cover where I can't be at all times because obviously photographing weddings, my weekends are kind of tied up. Um, no, it's a beautiful thing when you have a supportive spouse and a partner in a relationship that understands that you have goals too. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I'm not being a photographer, I'm also very involved in women empowerment. Um, I think a lot of people look at my situation and see a very good highlights reel. And that's not necessarily the case. There's been a lot of things that I have personally gone through throughout my childhood and my young adult life to kind of get where I am. And I think that's what makes me so proud of my photography business because again, it didn't come easy. I worked my butt off mm -hmm. um, and I got the results because I put so much work into it. So I like partnering with a lot of women that are struggling or might not necessarily feel that they're living the joyful life they've been created to do um, and kind of just peel back those layers and help them uncover what is going to make you happy, what makes you joyful um, and let's bring that out. Let's talk about it and let's celebrate your authenticity because at the end of the day, that's what we need more of. We don't need another Pinterest mom or you oh my know, gosh, a fitness, absolutely. <laughs> a fitness mm -hmm. group guru. If that's not what you're passionate about, you know, be you and shine your light. And um, so yeah. See, it's a God, there is no mistake why you, you and I connected because that is where my heart is. That's where a king size life came from is exactly what you're talking about. And people looking from the outside in and because of social media and frankly, a lot of people are just very afraid or, or don't even know how to be authentic or to be how you can be vulnerable and be sincere in your vulnerability um, where it is empowering. There are so many successful women out there that lack confidence even that are, that are successful, but can still really learn so much by other people's stories. And so mm -hmm. that's exactly what this is about. And that's, that's where my heart is too. Everything that I do every day is about how can I empower other women to give them their power back? Not only that, but, but well, actually for them to realize they never really lost their power and to be mindful of who they allow to, to share in that power with them. And anyway, so I'm so glad you're here. We're going to speed date a little bit okay. just to share a few more things about you. Yes, so what's your favorite course. color? Purple. Okay. Favorite food? Pizza. Okay. <laughs> ice cream or cake? Ooh, ice cream all the way. Mint ice cream or, to be okay. specific. <laughs> what's one of your favorite songs? Oh, Jolie is the first thing that comes to mind, but, um, like Dolly Parton. Yes. I love that song. Um, but I really like, Oh, I can't think of it right now. Bruno Mars sings it uptown funk. I think oh it's my called. gosh. I love that song. Love okay. That song. <laughs> What's one of your favorite movies? Oh, how Stella got her groove back. I haven't seen that. Oh, it's so okay. old, but it's so good. <laughs> okay. I need to watch it. Um, yes. do you have any, as, David Letterman would call them stupid human tricks. Yes, I can, um, I can sound like a rooster or a chicken. Oh, okay, let's hear it. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do it on call. I'm going to try to do around. it. I believe in you. <laughs> I can't do it right now. 
I got to be prefaced. better. I can sing with my mouth shut. Oh, how do you do that? Now that's a talent. Okay. That is. Talent. I don't know when I'll ever use it unless I got on David Letterman, but I thought I wanted to do that a little bit just to have a little bit of fun um, before we, you know, start digging into what you talked about, where you've been through life yeah. experiences. Um, I love that you're competitive. So I want to hear more about that, but I like to start with, what is your earliest childhood memory? And take us there. Sights, sounds, smells, what were you oh, wearing? What, who was around you? And about how old you were. Can you take us there? Honestly, I, I forgot a lot of my, my childhood and not, um, not on purpose. My parents divorced when I was four years old. And so those four, first four years of life, there was a lot of... Um, my father was an alcoholic, so there was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of dysfunction. And my mom was a full-time working single mom. So we had a lot of people take care of us. Um, my siblings were primarily my caregivers for a while when my mom couldn't be there. So I really don't remember a lot until my stepdad, my stepdad and my mom married. Um, and then life was completely different. You know, my mom when we were little, my mom was a nurse, so she graduated college, but my dad worked for the airlines. So we didn't have a lot of money. Um, we didn't do a lot of things. And then my mom met my stepdad, who now I consider my father. Um, and he was a doctor and he had two sons and our, our world was just completely different from there. So, you know, we would go skiing and I remember being probably nine, eight or nine, maybe. And I was a really stubborn child. <laughs> and if you've ever taken your child skiing, you know that when they have the poles, like ski poles, they tend to not give you poles as a child for a reason. Well, yeah, I wanted pizza, do the the wedge. Yep. yep. But I wanted the poles, so I refused to take the stupid ski pole loops off of my hands when I was getting on the lift, and the loop got stuck or something. I don't know. I was falling off the ski lift. And my parents were just like, what the hell? Like, come on. <laughs> How are you? Like you're actually a... falling off the ski lift in the air? Yes. But it was like, oh. it happened pretty quick. So it was, okay. I don't know, maybe seven feet up. It wasn't high. But I was the youngest of five kids and I was the youngest by four years. So I felt like I needed to keep up and we're in Colorado at Winter Park at our ski resort. And I don't know. I would say that's probably my first memory. So did you survive that trip with no broken anything? I did survive that particular trip with <laughs> not breaking anything. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I, lied. I have an earlier memory. I broke my arm on a trampoline when I was four years old. That's probably my earliest memory. Oh gosh. The trampolines. I don't know. I don't know how I didn't ever break anything on a trampoline because we had trampolines surrounding us in our neighborhood and right. we've got a tumble track in our backyard. My That's oldest fun. is a gymnast. Like he's an That's incredible cool. power tumbler. And I can, I mean, I play basketball, but otherwise I'm like a bull in a China cabinet. So I don't know how I didn't break many things when, on well, and back in the day, they didn't have the little protectors all no, around they the did springs, not. right? You just... No, we had to sign we had yes. to sign a letter that, and I forged it one time and got in so oh, yeah. much trouble. 
totally it was obvious that. that a kid had had signed that. But I always find that very interesting, the earliest childhood memory. And and most people that I interview don't remember anything prior to, to about four years old. So I always find that interesting and learn a lot about your upbringing. And your, you just shared quite a bit about your family dynamic growing up. So can you share one of your most difficult moments as a child? Uh, and it, it doesn't have to be a small, I mean, you know, even through your school years, like your teenage years, yeah. just prior to marriage and family. Yeah. So, um, twofold high school was a very difficult time for me. I was a dancer. I was a very, very good, talented, semi-professional dancer at the time. And I was also captain of our varsity POM squad. And when I made captain that year, I was one of the youngest in history to make it as a junior. It was always a senior title. And my four best friends were on that team with me all, you know, three years at that point. And when I was named captain, all of a sudden I was the enemy. And I went to a very, very small high school. It was a private Catholic school. And with that, there is a lot of drama. So when you know, I think our class size was 100 people. When the four most popular girls don't like you anymore, you have a target on your back. Mm-hmm. And they started making my life hell. Um, and I really, it really instilled this fear of female relationships at a very early age, because those were the people I trusted. And those were the people that were getting me through some very difficult times. Um, that led to a lot of depression, some suicidal attempts. And it was by God sent another girl who I didn't even know, but had, I guess, seen how upset I was. She called the school counselor and she said, I'm really worried about Katie. I think something's really wrong and she needs help. And that school counselor called my parents and my parents had no idea what had gone, you know, what was going on. And so I started counseling and everything And you'd think you'd just leave it at that, but they didn't leave it at that. They kept taking it further and further and further. Um, And then social media came around and that kind of carried into my 20s. And it just, I don't know, it was heartbreaking that at 15, 16 years old, you learn how vicious women can be because Mm -hmm. they didn't get their way, essentially. Um, And that kind of carried with me until my mid-20s, really. I want to hug you. I just, (laughs) I'm so past it now. You know, I have a 16 year old daughter and it's like, you know, words really hurt people. They don't have to even Mm -hmm. physically touch you, but people can be so cruel and words are so harmful. And I mean, what would you, what would you say to yourself, your 16 year old self now? I know we've talked about your 13 year old self, but what would you, yeah. what would you want to say to, and maybe not even Katie at 16, but other girls maybe out there that are experiencing that right now? You know, life is hard. Life, life was never meant to be easy, but at the same time, don't let other people dim your light because their insecurities is what is driving those negative things they're saying to you or doing to you. And it's not you, it's nothing you did. Um, and that was a really hard lesson for me to learn. I wish more, I wish, you know, in health class in high school now, they taught that instead mm-hmm. of teaching a, a specific curriculum, let's talk about mental health. Let's talk about treating people with kindness because there's always going to be, you know, a-holes mm-hmm. on social media in high school and college. Sheesh, as an adult, 
So really learning to practice self-love, I think is very important for our young adults to learn that and to learn it early. I think that's so important. I I just posted a couple days ago, actually, and it was titled Words Matter. And thinking about, you know, my childhood, I went to 13 different schools before I was in eighth grade. I was always the new girl. I was absolutely picked on. And I can, I had chills while you're you were sharing that part of your life because I, it took me back to living that. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately I took on so much anger from a lot of the things that happened to me that there were some girls that I was mean to. I can remember Mm -hmm. being mean to them and I wish I could go back and take it all back. I wasn't consistently mean to them, but there were different episodes of me just being cruel. And it was because Mm -hmm. I was so angry and hurt and I did get a, get the opportunity later in life to apologize to one person. And one of the girls that bullied me horribly got to apologize to me later in life. It's crazy how That's some great. of those things happen, but I was just sharing how words matter. And, you know, I posted a, a picture, a couple pictures of me when I was a senior in high school and I had, I had a, I felt like a pretty powerful message. And what I was trying to say is know better, do better and teach better. And most people were just complimenting me saying you were pretty, then you're pretty now. Like, you I missed not, the, you missed you the missed point. point. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, that's not what I'm trying to say. And, and I think that that's part of the problem is people don't really pay attention to a lot of the messages that we're trying to communicate out there because yeah. my goal <laughs> isn't to heal. I mean, yes, I would love to help women heal the scars that they have, but ultimately I would love to stop the same wounds from even occurring mm-hmm. in children. I no, I totally agree. It's, um, I've done posts like that too, where I don't know. I came out wearing wigs um, because someone had said that I had this empowerment message and that I was trying to teach people to live an authentic life. And here I was not telling the world that I wore wigs because of course, social media deems all things authentic. (laughs) So I felt the need to come out and say, yes, y'all, I wear wigs, which ended up being a fabulous thing. But um, I had wrote a post about why I wore wigs or something like that. And everyone's I like, oh my God, it. you're so pretty. You're so this. I'm like, you guys, you're missed. Like, did you even read the caption? It's not, it's not about looking pretty or, or being your best self or nowadays. And I'm just as guilty of it. We filter everything, right? We filter our photos. We, we make sure it's the right angle. We do what we need to do to appease everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband and I just had this conversation yesterday because I'm my own worst critic. I've been that way my entire life. Me too. Um, I think a lot of us are, and Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us are for various reasons. Um, I was constantly picked on. I was the youngest of five kids. I was never felt like I was enough. I always felt I needed to prove myself. Case in point, the damn ski lift. Um, (laughs) And he's like, when are you going to get over this vanity? When are you going to get over this need to be pretty? And I'm like, you don't understand. That's not what it's about. It's, I want to know when I send you a picture that, you know, you think that I'm the most beautiful thing in the world. He's like, but I already do. Why don't you see that? So it's hard. I mean, it goes back to, I mean, if you really were to go back and slice and dice it, I mean, my family, my mom left when I was six months old, your parents split when you were little. And Um, part of that comes from, I just, I, I want to feel like I'm good enough. I want to feel like you're not going to leave. I want to feel like I'm making you happy. And 
Uh, so I can completely relate to that. And I, I think there's so much power in just sharing that. I, I did read your post about talking about thinning hair and hair mm -hmm. loss and what that was doing to your confidence. And so many women experience that and don't talk about so it. Many, it's like this cloud so of shame women. about it. And I love that you wear wigs and I love that you can, you're like a chameleon and can change it's your bad. look every day. And you do it with, I think, beautiful style and grace and sharing that that's who you are. So that yeah. is authentic. I, it, it is, it authentic. is you know, I want a boob job is the most normal thing in the world. Extensions, yes. so normal, but wearing a wig is this huge like embarrassment. And for women that are going through cancer treatments or suffer from hair loss or thinning hair, you know, your identity as a female is wrapped so much in something like your hair. And so when you start to lose it, a lot of um, negative thoughts come in, you know, yourself, you're doubting yourself, you don't feel feminine, you don't feel sexy. And so if me wearing a wig and talking about it on a social media platform helps to break that stigma so that someone can come out and say, well, shit, if she can wear it, I can absolutely wear it. Like this absolutely. is fun. Yes. So, I love that. I love that part of your story heart. and that you do that. What's, what is one of your most proud moments prior to family? And the reason why I stress that is because I know, obviously you're yes. so proud of your son and being a mom is, well, I mean, there's just no, nothing compares, there is. but, yeah. but yeah. as far as going a little, I, cause I'm trying to understand where your competitiveness comes from, obviously mm -hmm. being the youngest of five, obviously, you know, different things that you experienced in your upbringing, but also, um, what makes you most proud that Katie's done prior to, I would say most, I'm most proud of, um, overcoming a really, really hard chapter in my life. So in my, um, in my college years, in my early twenties, I dated someone that was extremely abusive and he was not physically abusive, but he was very emotionally and mentally abusive. Um, I was worthless. I was never, ever going to be a good mother. I was better off dead. He would put a car tracker on my car and, and follow me everywhere. He would, um, I'll never forget. I was staying at his house one night and he had gotten mad at me for something. And, uh, at the time, and I'm sure they still have it now, but at the time, if you were, um, if you had a sight impairment, you could call an operator and essentially that operator would call you or call the person you wanted to talk to and they would tell you what that person said. So instead of like a text message, it was like a voice message system. And he told me that he was, he didn't tell me it was him, but he told me that he was outside my room and he was watching me. He told me exactly what I was wearing and that he was going to kill me in the middle of the night. And I am someone that I am terrified. I don't watch creepy movies. I don't watch Dateline. Like, I hate that kind of stuff. It terrifies me. It's my worst fear. Because it's so real. It's so real. Um, and he knew that. And he was directly attacking that. And so Gosh. years later, um, because when you're in those relationships, it's very hard to get out, not because you don't know better or because you don't think you deserve better, but you're so far brainwashed. And they have gaslighted you so much to believe that if I were to have stood up for myself and said, this isn't right, like you shouldn't be tracking me. What are you talking about? It's for your safety, Katie. Like it's because I want to make sure you're not lost because you moved here from Chicago and you don't know where you're going. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. So after years of this, um, I eventually finally got out of the relationship and 
I'll never forget, I was at, um, I do a lot of work with a foundation here in Charlotte called the Jamie Kimball Foundation for Courage. And it was a random opportunity that someone had called and said, hey, I know you're a wedding photographer, but can you photograph this luncheon? And I said, absolutely. And at this, up until this point, I would have never told you I was in an abusive relationship because I didn't think that I was. And this was years later, but I still had never dealt with that. I'd never discussed it with anyone. So I go to this luncheon and the luncheon is about a girl, a young girl who was in her thirties was, had broken up with her boyfriend. They had um, remained friends. And three months after they broke up, he had picked her up from the airport and he shot and killed her. And the parents started a foundation to prevent that from ever happening. So they partner with organizations throughout Charlotte and throughout the Southeast. And they put awareness and education programs in high schools and colleges that teach you the warning signs of an unhealthy relationship and what you should do should you find yourself in one. And I will never forget, I have chills thinking about it right now. I stood backstage and I listened to what Jan was saying about her daughter and behind it were 10 warning signs. And that relationship, every single one of them checked the box. And it was the first time in my life that I accepted what had happened to me and knew it wasn't my fault. And I stood backstage just hysterically crying. And ever since then, I've partnered with the organization because it truly changed my life. It, um, it gave me my power back and it gave me the strength to share my story because so many people looked at it and said, She's got, you know, she's got her dream job and she wears Louboutins and she wears, you know, she carries a Louis Vuitton and she's got this awesome life. And behind closed doors, I was horribly, horribly depressed. Um, so wow. I would say I'm most proud of taking the steps necessary to start that journey um, because that was the beginning. That was, that was the eye-opening experience, but the work came after that to get to the place where I am today. Right. I mean, that's so much having to go inward to heal, yeah. which a lot of people, we just don't do that. We run away because it's mm -hmm. very difficult to go inward and face that. And I can only imagine how that moment that you were experiencing where you're like, I'm listening to my life being read yeah. to me off of a slide right yeah. now. Yeah. So what can you share what some of those warning signs are? If, you know, one of the questions that I, that I had for you is, is what's something that you would want women and girls to learn from your experience. Yes, um, I can. Um, and I can send you a PDF and you can add notes. I don't know if you add notes to your. You know, yes, I do. I would love to put that so that the listeners, if they want to actually go and pull that from a kingsizelife.com with your episode, they can. Um, we'll add they're, that. They're, they're very simple things. Um, you know, is, is the person you're in a relationship and most of the time it is men abusing women. But there are times when it's women abusing men as well. But a lot of things, something as simple as, do you find that your partner is trying to keep you away from your friends and family? Are they isolating you? Are they doing backhanded compliments? You know, if they constantly are putting you down in public or even behind closed doors, that's not a good sign. I know it's easy to brush it off and say, oh, he's just drunk or, oh, he doesn't really mean that. There, there's truth when, when people drink and people start talking, right? Did you know um, it in your gut? Did you know in your, like looking back? I did, but I just moved across the country. I gave up my college and my sorority. I gave up my friends and my family and, mm -hmm. and my life in Chicago to be here. And I didn't want to believe it. He was 
Prince Charming. He was older and he was Southern and he had a great job and he had a house and I didn't want to believe it. Yeah, I would say that that's the hardest is when people think that they're imparting wisdom or they're mm -hmm. trying to help you and you're just not in a place to be able to hear it. No, and, and his life was my life. I mean, his friends were my friends and it was really scary to start over. It was really scary to not have anyone to turn to because again, I didn't have friends here. And if I would have said anything to those people that were friends with them, him, um, they took it and ran. I remember MySpace had just come out. And if you remember, you could do like the top eight, right? It was your top best friends. Mm -hmm. And then people would send out these surveys and you could put the survey on like the left-hand side of the page. Well, one of the girls that I made the mistake of telling my story to um, while we were dating, decided to take it upon herself to write on his MySpace wall that I was, I'm paraphrasing here, but that I was a suicidal, you know, little girl that had nothing going for and blah, 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 blah. And he kept that pinned to the top of his MySpace page for a solid couple months until his brother was like, you know, that makes you look bad. That doesn't oh just make goodness. her look bad. And so I, again, very quickly learned mm -hmm. you can't trust any of his friends either. So, right. so who did, who were you surrounding yourself with to help you to, was it other people that helped you move away from that relationship? Is that something you would encourage people to do? If, what if they are alone and they don't have friends in that area or family? What's, yeah. what are some things that they can do to create that stability or, or support? Mm -hmm. So there are organizations that you can call any time of the day, 24 hours, seven days a week that you can talk to. Um, you can also, if you, for me, uh, my church community was very helpful because I was seeing a counselor at the church. So he was able to put me in a lot of um, contact with resources that I, I needed to get out. And I had hid it from my family. I didn't want them to know. And so when I finally told them, um, I think it was my aunt actually that had called me and she said, I think you're in, a, in an abusive relationship. And let me tell you, I was in one as well. I know what you're, you're going through. And she just hysterically broke down crying. And that was kind of like, oh no, does my family know? And so when I came clean with them, they were wonderful. They, you know, they helped. I moved in with my sister. They kind of monitored everything I did, which sounds crazy, but it helped. Yeah. Did it take a hard. long time to completely break away? Yeah. It took years. Wow. Because any, anytime I would move on or I'd start seeing someone else, he'd show up at my door and say, Oh, I really miss you. I really miss you. And you know, we'd sleep together and the next morning we'd wake up and he'd be like, eh, just wanted sex. Thanks. Bye. Wow. And then we'd go through the whole cycle again. And then four months later I do the same thing. And again, it's so easy now looking back and wanting to shake that person and be like, how did you like, what you're smarter than this. But at the time he said the right things and I wanted that relationship. I wanted that approval from him. I wanted to know that I was enough because for years I was never enough. Yeah, I can absolutely relate to that. Any, any uh, unhealthy relationship I've ever been in has been just like that. That's, that's what it was. Yep. What, what internal and personal things have you worked on that's helped you to realize your worth, like that Katie is worth the right kind of love and that you are deserving. And yeah, so a lot of self-reflection, a lot of, um, my husband and I have been together now for 10 years and we definitely, you know, it was 
he, he had some hoops to jump through in the beginning and I had to learn to trust people again, which was, and it still is a very hard thing for me to do, doing things for myself, doing things that make me happy and not always prioritizing everyone else is very, very important to me. Feeling that I'm in control is very important to me. That's why I'm very organized. So there's a lot of balance, but I, I've learned now almost 35 years old, you know, I've learned to make myself a priority is not taking away anything from anyone else. And it doesn't make me a bad wife or a bad mom or a bad business owner or anything. It's, it's just, I, my mental health needs it. Um, and that looks like various things, you know, it's exercising, it's a clean house, it's journaling, it's making time for myself once a month, you know, where Katie can just be Katie and I don't have to talk mm-hmm. to anyone or do anything or put on makeup or anything like that. No one needs me. So that's really important. I think, I think most, most people I know do not take enough time for themselves. They don't take self de- development seriously. And we have to, we have to always be growing. I think we have to always be learning and adjusting and reflecting. And Mm -hmm. I've never gone to counseling and I wish I would have, I, I believe everybody should have some, a safe place like that to talk to. And I keep saying that, and I've reached out and attempted to find a counselor and Mm -hmm. I'm on a wait list. And I, that's something that I'm committed to doing. I think that's so important to have a safe place where you can just really, let your guard down and, and talk to people. And, and most people just have built up so many walls. Some people don't even know who they are anymore, but mm-hmm. I think all the things that you talked about are really important. Is that, is that what led you into pageants? How long have you been competing in pageants? And maybe let's talk a little bit about what does that really mean to you? You know, mm-hmm. what is that competition and just the organization and that environment and everything that the platform, all of it, what does that really mean? Because I think people assume that it's about grabbing a crown and standing on stage and posing for a picture. And it's about so much more than that. It is, you know, and I was one of those people, quite honestly, I didn't compete until I was an adult. My first pageant was at uh, November of 2018. And the only reason that I competed was because that summer, some, the director of the system had approached me and I was in a, I was in a, place where I wasn't happy with myself. Um, I had gained a bunch of weight. I wasn't taking care of myself. I didn't prioritize myself. It was the absolute height of my business. I was thriving with Catherine Jean photography. I was thriving as a mom and a wife, but I was really, really, really failing as Katie. So I said, I'm going to take four months and I'm going to concentrate on, on working on me. And that was the motivation to get into pageantry. I wanted to show my friends and my family and my community that it's okay to take time and, and to work towards a goal. And if you fail, because I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I, I didn't know you were going to win. This is no. USA universe, your first no. competition. <laughs> <laughs> so so that the first one I was, it was North Carolina America and I was first runner up. So then uh, I was asked, you know, once you compete in a pageant and you don't win, a lot of systems reach out to you because they want you to compete in theirs. But I never wanted to compete again just to compete. I really wanted it to be for the right reasons and I wanted to inspire my community. And I had done that and I had seen such a, um, such a wonderful community of women come and support me and really resonate with, wow, like we can do more things than just be a mom or a wife. We can still be 
Molly or Shannon or Katie, whoever you are. So the next pageant I competed in was for USA Universe. Again, had no intention that I was going to do well. And I walked away with the crown. And that was a totally different experience than the first pageant because I worked with a coach. I worked on walk. I, I learned about the pageant industry because the first time I didn't know anything other than, well, you just kind of have to be pretty. That's why I lost guys. Note to self. Oh. <laughs> so when I prepared, <laughs> I did very well. And after winning, I, um, I knew I didn't want to partner with a pageant coach because I wanted to do internal work. Mm-hmm. I had a message that I was ready to share. And that was my story of domestic violence. Um, because up until that point, I never came out and said it publicly. And I actually worked with Susie Boots and she became my life coach. And we, for months in preparation to us to Mrs. Universe in China, we didn't work on how to answer a question in an interview. We worked on why are you so afraid to break out of this mold that someone else defined you needed to be in? And so we uncovered a lot of layers and um, I I was fortunate enough to go represent the United States uh, at at the Mrs. Universe stage in China. And it was one of the greatest accomplishments of my life. I will never forget that feeling. And yeah, then, then it came time to compete again in another system. And my husband was like, okay, you've kind of already, you've gotten the national title. Like you did really well at internationals. Why are you going to compete again? And so I went back to the America system. And that time I was, I just wanted the crown. I wanted to prove myself that I was first runner up last time and I'm going to win. I'm going to do it. And so again, I didn't go into it with the correct uh, mentality and I lost. (laughs) Shocking. So I was done with pageantry and uh, my current title, Mrs. Cosmos, Mrs. North Carolina Cosmos, the Cosmos system for years is a system that I had looked up to and looked at because they're not at all the, you have to be this way to win a crown in our system. They truly celebrate every diversity, every ethnicity, every women, woman, whether she's a size zero or a size 14 or any size in between. Uh, And that was really important to me. And so it was the first time in my course since 2018 that the stars aligned and I was not either, either holding the title or getting ready to compete in a different system. So I competed in February and I won the state title. And now I will go to nationals July 6th through 10th in Orlando. And I will compete amongst some of the most amazing women I have ever seen in my life. I've ever met in my life with the biggest hearts And it's just, you know, pageantry has transformed from a competitive thing for me to do, to, you know, check off the box, to this incredible sisterhood of women who are in their community doing the exact thing that I'm passionate about. Um, So it's really formed some lifelong friendships. I mean, I have tears in my eyes, just like, um, just all of it. I could see it all happen, you know, as a little girl watching every pageant that there was on TV. I grew up watching them. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing that I, I experienced and maybe you did and a lot of little girls experience is somewhere in there, we believe we can wear that crown mm-hmm. to we believe we're not worthy. Yep. And what I've seen you accomplish and understanding more of your story and what I hope people are learning about you and taking from this is all the things that you experienced. I mean, to the point of being suicidal, to being so depressed, to questioning your worth, to feeling completely 
robbed of your power as a woman from an, an abusive relationship, that you can overcome that, that you can bust through the dark shadow and that you can live a beautiful life and be an example for other women. And through pageantry, I think that you're able to look other women right in the eyes and say, see, you can do it too. You can do it too. Pageantry is just a microphone. It's really, it's a spotlight that's given to you for a year. If you're lucky enough to win that title and what you choose to do with that title is up to you. But my God, if you are given the opportunity, friend, share your story, talk to women, because the more you share your story, that's why I love your podcast, Shannon. The more people hear these stories, the more people know they're not alone. They're motivated to do whatever it is that crazy dream they have is. And, um, you know, that's, that's what life should be about. It should be about celebrating your accomplishments. And there's so much beauty and brokenness. Mm-hmm. And I think we just try to hide it from everyone because I can't have a crack. That makes me, that makes me a failure. No, it doesn't. It makes you human and it makes you relatable and it makes you authentic and beautiful and perfect just the way God made you. So makes you so real. Okay. So final question, because you, you said it as far as living in your purpose, what is next for you? If you, if you felt like your soul was completely aligned with your purpose, have you discovered what that is? And if you have, can you share with us what that looks like and where you're headed? So my goal in life is to inspire women to, li- to live an authentic, empowered life that they love, a joyful life, right? Um, and that looks like many different things. You know, right now it's a podcast and it's a blog and it's meeting with community leaders and, um, you know, putting programs in place where women can come together. Susie wants me to write a book one day. You know, maybe it's a book down the line. Maybe it's something. Um, that God has not put in my heart yet. And I don't know those details, but I do know that I was made to do great things with this and to help women and to, to use my voice for those who haven't yet found theirs. And hopefully we're going to break a lot of, a lot of stigmas along the way and bring people together. We'll we'll be locking arms. I'll be doing that with you and yelling as loud as I can alongside you to do that. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share. i always believe that it's a God thing that paths cross. I never believe that it's an accident and you're just a perfect example of, of the type of testimony that people need to hear. And so I, I'm really appreciative of you being vulnerable and letting us see behind the curtain. And Thanks. even though I believe you're very authentic on social media, I think still pe- people make way too many assumptions about people and, and who we are. And you've just shattered a lot of probably misconceptions by sharing more starting at childhood. So thank you for being here and you can go to a kingsizelife.com where you can find on the episodes tab, you'll be able to find Katie's full episode. You'll be able to connect with her there. We'll have links directly to her. If you want to connect with her further, follow her story, um, maybe hear more about the places that you can connect. If you're in an abusive relationship, we'll provide some of that information, but please reach out to Katie if you want to investigate some of those avenues further. I know that she would be open to helping more. And as always, my prayer for you is that you will get off the sidelines of life and live a king-sized life because you only get one. You've been listening to a King-Sized Life podcast with Shannon King. You can follow Shannon on Facebook and Instagram. 
If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We really appreciate that effort. Be sure to join us next time for another encouraging podcast with Shannon King. Thanks so much for listening.